Sweet. So let's, let's listen to God's word together here in James chapter 4. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, and so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You, adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. And let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Let's pray. Father, now as we come to your word and sing this song of the power of the cross. Father, let us take shelter in the person of Christ and what he has done for us. And as we give, God, let us give as a thank offering for all you have done. You became poor, Lord Jesus, that we who were poor might become rich. And we give this now, these offerings to you as a way of saying thanks. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Father, what an amazing truth of the gospel, Lord, that you are the lifter of our heads. You're the one that takes us from our humble position and exalts us as we humble ourselves and submit ourselves to you, that you died so that we could be made right with you. Your love for us is great. Father, I pray this morning that we could experience your love, we could remember your love, we could know your love. Lord, as we experience your forgiveness and grace and look forward to the day when you will exalt us with you beside the throne. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. <clears throat> well, good morning. You may be seated. Well, as you guys heard, we're continuing in James this morning and this whole time we've been looking at a faith that works and it's really... James 2.22, this be doers of the word, not hearers only, that what we hear from God's word and believe would affect our hearts and we would be transformed, that our lives would look different because of what God is doing in us through Christ. This is real life transformation that we talk about often here at Risen Life Church. And last week, Pastor Kevin looked at this contrast between earthly wisdom and godly wisdom that on the one hand, earthly wisdom in James 3.16, it's full of jealousy and selfish ambition and it leads to all sorts of vile evil and disorder. And yet on the other side, godly wisdom in 3.17 is characterized as pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy and good fruits and impartial and sincere. 
And that's what we're after. Really, today, in James 4, 1 through 10, this follows on the heels of this passage. It builds upon it, and it gives you a, a particular instance. He's going to talk about now our conflicts and our quarrels, how we fight with one another. And I know that this topic hardly applies to anyone in this room, right? You've never had a fight with your kids or spouse or coworker or friends. And in fact, some of you may have even had a fight on the way to church this morning with some of these folks. I actually have an excuse. I can be self-righteous today because my family's out of town. So I've had no arguments this morning. It's been a good day. Um, but this is, conflict involves all of our lives every day. In fact, when I used to work construction, I would say, all I am is a conflict manager. <laughs> That's all I did was fight with people all day long about what they should do on the job site. And so James this morning is going to give us a godly perspective on the multiple messes that we find ourselves in, and we need it. Ever been in that fight with your spouse or a friend, and you look at each other halfway through the fight, and you go, why are we fighting right now? I don't even know why we're fighting. And James is going to show us that we fight, and we argue, and we have conflict, as he will say, because our hearts have lost their focus on God and become focused on our own interests. He points the finger at us, and James will show us that the remedy, really, to this selfish heart is to humble ourselves before God and repentance. And so we'll look at three parts. We'll spend the most of the time in the first part here, the cause of our fights in James 4, 1 through 4. Then we'll look at God's heart towards us in verses 5 and 6, and the remedy in James 7 through 10 there. So let's look at the cause of our fights in verses 1 through 4. James says this in James 4, 1, what causes quarrels and fights, or what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So here James is giving us the cause of our fights, conflicts, arguments. It's the selfish desires of our own hearts. In other words, James looks at us in our fights and conflicts and says, guess what? The problem's you. <laughs> James has already told us that our desires lead us into sin. James 1.15, this is the process of sin that we have desires in our hearts, and when they are conceived, they give birth to sin, and when sin is then fully grown, it brings forth death, and our conflicts and fights are just a, another fruit of this sin that resides in the heart. The problem is us. And let's be honest, I hate this answer. <laughs> you know, when you're in a fight with somebody, I don't like to go, the problem's me, because I like the problem to be them. <laughs> in fact, it feels like they're the problem. And we like to blame the other guy for the things that we experience. And really, this has been the story of the Bible ever since the fall, right? When Adam sins, he says, it's that woman you gave me, God. Problem is not me. We live in a culture that encourages us all to be the victim and point the finger at the other guy and say, it's all his fault, it's all what he has done. But James turns the finger and says, no, no, it's you, <laughs> It's your heart that has the problem. And that's the starting point of getting things right. So James would also say, hey, he doesn't let the other guy off the hook if you asked him. He'd say, no, the same problem's in the other guy. His heart isn't right either. And so now we get in the same room and guess what happens? We get in fights and conflicts. The 
the Bible teaches us our primary responsibility is to get our heart right first, right? This is really the only thing that you can control. You can't control that other guy, but you can control your own heart, and especially when we have the Spirit of God as believers. So God calls us to focus on what is wrong in our hearts and get that right first and desires that our hearts will be made right. So what do these passions do in our hearts? Look at James 4, 2. He says, look, you desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And notice here he's using moral categories from the Old Testament, from the Ten Commandments. He's evaluating our conduct by God's law. The word desire there could also be translated as lust. So we lust after people and things, and when we don't get what we want, we kill. Likewise, James says we covet. This means we we intensely desire something or someone else's things or situations, and because we want it so bad, we'll fight for it. And really saying the same things, our hearts are inordinately desiring something that we can't get, and when we can't get it our way, we fight, and we quarrel, and we murder. And we know that sometimes this happens in a very real way, and we see this in the news. When the, when the jaded lover can't get the other person, he murders. Happened this weekend. We see in our politics and cultural debates, we want everyone to hold our position. We want everyone to come our way on a certain issue. When we don't get it, we get mad and we slander. In fact, our our cancel culture is built on what James is talking about. We cancel people for their actions because we can't get what we want. It may not be physical murder, but nonetheless, it's murder in our hearts. This is what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. 521 and 22, you've heard it said by those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother, they'll be liable to judgment. And he goes on to talk about what that looks like. He says, you'll insult the other person. You'll call him a fool. And that's murder. And we can see how what James is talking about works out in our various relationships. You know, as a parent, I want obedience out of my kids. But sometimes that's a selfish desire of mine. I'm not about their sanctification and other things. I want obedience right now for my reasons because I want it peace and quiet and I want things to go my way. And when they don't, I get mad. That's not about them. That's about me. (laughs) And sometimes our spouses, we can get mad at the way our spouse folds a towel, but that's not really a flaw in our spouse. That's really about our heart. (laughs) My wife likes to fold it in threes. I like to fold it in half, right? Or maybe your spouse doesn't meet your mental, I mean, your emotional or your physical needs, and you get angry. Well, that's not your spouse's problem. That's us putting undue expectations on them. Our hearts desire that they're not meeting, and then we get mad. And we even have this in the church sometimes. We look at what the church does. You can look at church leadership that will do or say something a certain way. And you say, well, I would have done it this way. And then you get mad. These are our heart's desires coming out and leading us into conflict. And James calls us as believers to pause and evaluate our lives and the conflicts we have. Why are you angry with them? 
Did that anger come out of my heart's desires? How did that anger lead me to murder them in my mind? Are you mad at someone right now? James points the fact that we fight because our hearts are sick and they've given in to sinful desires instead of walking in God's ways. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, he actually, he talks about the church, that this is a diagnosis, strife and jealousy and conflict in the church. He actually sees it as a symptom of immaturity that they're, they're in Corinthians, they're arguing over who's the best leader. This sounds familiar, right? Paul tells them that these symptoms indicate that they're actually infants in their faith and they need to grow up. What do these symptoms indicate about our faith this morning? We need to put our faith to work and let it change the aim and desire of our heart so that we'd approach conflict with that godly wisdom that is peaceable, gentle, reasonable, merciful. So that's how the evil desires of our hearts play out in our human relationships, as James talks about. But he also goes on and shows how they play out in our relationship with God. Look at verses 2 through 4. He, he continues and he says this, You do not have because you don't ask. You ask and then you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. He's talking to the church here, by the way. Do you not know that friendship with the world is in enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What James is saying is you're looking in all the wrong places to fulfill your desires. You're trying to fulfill your heart's desires through your own ways instead of looking to the great provider God, and you wonder why it goes poorly. This has really been the story of man since we left the garden, trying to provide for ourselves and fulfill our own desires. And James says when you do that, you've actually moved from being a friend of God to be rather his enemy. And, and this is strong language that we see even in all of the prophets of the Old Testament, that when Israel wandered away from God into their own passions and desires and committing iniquity with the nations around them, God says, you've become my enemy. You're no longer my friend. And when Jerusalem was besieged by foreign armies and people carried them off into exile, you can guarantee God felt like an enemy. And yet his real love runs deeper than that, as we'll see. And he goes on and says, you don't have because you don't ask. In fact, the Jesus invites us in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, to ask for the things we need, right? He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be over, open to you. Furthermore, he tells us if we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more so is God willing to give gifts to his children, which we are through Christ? God is good, and I've prayed to him many times and see him done amazing things. Health, finances, opportunities to share the gospel, strength in the midst of struggle. God comes through when we ask him. But here's the problem. I fear our prayer lives are quite anemic. We don't often ask. We don't see God move because we don't ask. And you know when that conflict comes into your life, when you have that relationship problem, that should be a signal, I need to pray. <laughs> and I need to pray a lot. Children misbehaving, 
Pray that God would change their hearts. Spouse hurting you with their actions and their words, pray that God would change their heart. Pray that God would change your heart. Maybe your boss at work giving you a hard time. Pray that God changes the situation for your good and his glory. Jesus says ask, and too often we're only pointing our fingers at everyone else instead of asking God to do something. Let's be a people that ask God to move in big ways, right? Let's be a people when we get in conflict and fights to fall on our knees. You see this with Moses and some of the prophets of old. They get in these fights with the people and they fall on their knees and they say, God, do something. God, search out the sin in my heart and God, do something in this situation to make it right. And then James goes on and he says, look, you, sometimes you do ask and you don't receive because you want to spend it on your own passions. You ever prayed to win the lottery? We were driving back from Kentucky, you know, and the lottery was up to like 420 million. Our kids are like, we've got to play the lottery. I'm like, okay, we'll buy a ticket, right? So I buy the kids each a ticket because they want, they want to see if we'll win the lottery. I mean, 420 million, I could do a lot with that, right? But as I'm driving, I kind of sneak off a little prayer. God, you know, it'd be all right with me if you caused us to win the lottery, <laughs> Right? It's not necessarily a bad prayer, but there's no way God is going to answer this prayer in my life. He's got way better things for me than me winning the lottery because he knows I would use that on my own passions. There's that country song that talks about, you know, if I did win a lot of money, it would be nice if I could buy a boat and a truck, right? Um, but I, But, yeah, so lots of times we do ask, but we ask in a way because we want to use what God would give us just to satisfy our personal desires. And, God, and James is saying, that's not it. And yet at the same time, God promises us that there is great blessing when we follow His way. And yet, as the Bible also warns us, our hearts our hearts are deceitful beyond measure. As Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? And the answer to that is only God and His Spirit can parse out what our hearts really desire. And we need Him to show us what is going on in our hearts. God, James also goes on and talks about this. He says, look at When we're about our things and not God's, we've be- actually become friendship We've actually become friends of the world instead of God. When we become friends of the world, it makes us an enemy with God. And I fear too many of us, we've actually become besties with the world, right? We like what the world has to offer way more than what we think God has to offer us. We've settled for a small treasure over the big riches that God has for us. But friendship with, the, with God will also make us an enemy with the world. It kind of works both ways. Matthew 10, Jesus tells us, you'll be hated because of my name. And so James is facing us with a choice. Will we be friends with the world? Will we seek our pleasure and fulfillment here in our manner and means? Or will we look to God to be the one who will provide for us? We have to make a choice. And we will be on one side or the other with God. Now, in the middle of this passage, James interjects a few comments on God's heart towards us. And I think this is good, right? 
James 5 and 6, look at what he says. Do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, if you read some commentaries on this passage, this is a famously hard passage to interpret and translate what it's saying here. There's really two ways you can translate this verse. One would say that the spirit God has caused to live in us is the one that we received at creation, the human spirit that tends towards envy and and sin. And so to solve that problem, we need God's grace. However, many others translate the verse, much like we see in our ESV that we read this morning, that said God yearns jealously for his spirit, the Holy Spirit, that he has put in us, so that when we become a Christian by confessing Jesus as Lord, asking him for forgiveness of our sins, God places his spirit in us. This is what 1 Corinthians 6.19 says. It says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You're not your own. So in other words, to be a Christian is to have the Holy Spirit. God has given us his spirit. Spirit. All Christians have God's Spirit that marks us out as God's. And as 1 Corinthians said, we are now no longer our own. 2 Corinthians 1.22 calls the Holy Spirit a seal, that it acts as a guarantee to us and to the world to say, this one is mine. And because God's Spirit is now in us, He now has a claim on our lives. As a Christian, you are not your own, but you have given your life to another. You are His. And God is saying, He is jealous over you because you are His. He has purchased you with the blood of His Son. He has worked this marvelous work of salvation, sending His Son to die on the cross to buy you with His blood. It cost Him a lot, and He has good purposes for you. And he's saying, these will be carried out in your life. You are not your own. He wants us to reflect on his good work of salvation in our lives. And this is good news because it means God loves you intensely. He loves you intensely. He died for you. And he will see your heart change. You know, when you think about this, it's it's kind of... One of the best illustrations to think about it is this illustration of marriage that the prophets use. You know, James has already said we're adulterous people. This is language, again, of the prophets that's saying you've turned away from God and you've run away. But even this idea of jealousy finds this illustration in marriage that we are the bride of Christ. And as a newly married bride, if we begin to turn to other lovers in town, the groom becomes jealous over the bride. He will rescue her and punish those that have lured them astray. That's God's heart towards us. He will not let us go. In fact, Exodus 20, 4 through 6, God says this. He's saying, look, don't bow down to idols because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You're mine. I've purchased you. Exodus 34, 14, God says his name is jealous. He is jealous over you because he loves you and has saved you out of his very heart. And this is a good thing because it means that God won't let us 
run off into our sin forever. He will come after us. Because he's jealous of us, he will come after us and he will pull us back to himself and do a transforming work in our hearts. In fact, God's desire is that his people will be holy and unreservedly his. Every part of you. And he will stop at nothing until that happens in your heart. And guess what? Sometimes that hurts. as what James is talking about this morning. In fact, the fact that James is calling us out today about our heart condition that leads us into fights is because God is saying, I won't let you go. I'm going to call you back to myself. You will be mine because he is a loving God. James 4, 6 tells us that God gives more grace to overcome all those things that are going on in our heart. Wherever you are today, God extends his grace to you and says, let's get this thing right. Let's get it right. If you'll humble yourself, as he's going to say, and admit your heart condition before God, then there is nothing but grace from him. James says he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, our world teaches us that we should hide our heart. We should hide our failings. We should look strong and... The gospel says something completely different, that we should bring our broken hearts and our failings to a God who will be gracious and show us love and mercy in the midst of our sin. Our world says everybody else is the problem. The gospel says my heart's the problem. The world likes to cancel people, but God jealously redeems problem people. And God's invitation to us in our sin is to humbly Come to the foot of the cross and receive His grace and forgiveness. He gives more grace. So I'd ask you, what do you need to bring Him this morning as an act of confession and humility? Don't hide it. God says, bring it to me. Humbly come and bow before me, and I will forgive you of your sins, and I will raise you up to new life. I will exalt you to be one of my sons and daughters. So James is now leading us to the remedy to our fights and quarrels that come from our evil, selfish hearts and that by humbling ourselves before the Lord with an attitude of repentance. Look at what he says about the remedy here in verse 7. James says this, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And James says a lot here. We're just going to hit each little piece here quickly. First he says this, submit yourself to God. Really, this is the remedy to the desire, the selfish desires of our hearts to humbly submit ourselves to God. Instead of being our own God, out for our own things, we place ourselves on the altar and say, God, I'm yours. You're the Lord of my life. Put God on the throne of our hearts, and this defeats our hearts. And as we begin to experience His love and His grace towards us, the things of the world begin to compare less and less. And this is really, this is the basics of becoming a Christian, that we confess Jesus as Lord, that's saying, God, you're Lord of my life, 
And then you begin the process of submitting everything in your life to Christ. Our desires, our finances, our sexuality, our politics, our relationships, our family, our health. Everything becomes submitted to Him. I think the natural question for us, have you made Jesus Lord of your life? It's one thing to know a lot about the gospel, to come to church, but it's another thing to have Jesus as Lord and let him define where you go and who you are. James goes on and tells us to resist the devil and he will flee. This is a good promise, right? He's already called our jealousy and our selfish ambition demonic in James 3.15. That these desires lead us into conflict, fighting, and many other problems. But James says, if you'll resist the devil, he'll flee from you. This is, this is much like what Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. He's where he describes this spiritual battle that we are in. He says, put on the armor of the Lord. Be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That's putting on truth and righteousness, knowing the gospel and, and standing in faith and salvation, the word of God and in prayer in the spirit and perseverance. God is saying, if you'll do these things, the devil will flee far from you because there's far easier targets. But I fear many, too many of us are too in love with the things of the world to stand. <laughs> we actually like these things better than God's things. But James is saying, if you'll give yourself to God, you can defeat the devil in your life. And then James says this, and this is one of the greatest promises in the Bible. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. If you'll draw near to God, he will draw near to you. You know, it's kind of this cheeky line that you've probably heard before. If God feels far away, then who moved? <laughs> it's us. It's not God normally, most of the time. It's not true all of the time, but most of the time we've stopped doing the things of God. We've stopped following Him, and God feels so distant to us. But God promises if we will begin to do the things of faith, we'll find Him. He'll be there with us. And maybe you feel far from God today. And there's many things that can cause that to happen. It could be our sin. It can be our apathy. It can be broken relationships or trials that we're going through. It can be entertaining the lies of the culture. And yet God says, if you will draw near to me, then you will seek me and find me. I will draw near to you. You know, Blaise Pascal, one of these famous philosophers, talks about the fact that if you don't feel faith in your heart, then one of the best things to do to develop faith is actually do the things of faith, right? Begin to do the things of faith even when you don't feel like doing the things of faith, and then suddenly you'll look back and find that you have faith. This is drawing near to God, and He draws near to us. And band, you can come on up. And finally, James comes to this picture of repentance. James asks us to now, given the problem, we have evil desires in our hearts that lead us into conflict, The remedy is to submit ourselves to God, and now we need to purify our hearts and our hands. He asks us to have clean hands from the deeds of our sin, to purify our hearts so that we are no longer double-minded, torn between the things of the world and the things 
of God. Rather, set God on the throne of our life. No other idol. Be submitted to Christ as Lord. Not our selfish ambition. Not our jealousy over someone else's success. Not a lust for a life in situations that are not ours, but a heart that is submitted to Jesus as Lord. Jesus wants to have our hands and our hearts, our deeds and our disposition. We can pray like David in Psalm 51.10, God, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, renew a right spirit within me. And as part of this process of repentance, James says, we also ought to be broken over our sin. And this is, this is foreign to us. He says we ought to weep and mourn and be wretched. That we should stop laughing and stop being joyful, but be gloomy. <laughs> this is hard for us in a culture that likes to joke about everything and places happiness as our highest ideal. When was the last time you were broken over your sin before God? Just took a moment and thought, God, I'm really sorry. This is terrible. God, I, I've offended you. I've hurt people that I've been in fights with. I've not placed their, their best interest at my heart. The Bible teaches us to be broken over our sin, and actually the gospel begins when we're broken. We can come on our knees and hand God our sin and brokenness. Say, God, fix it. And God says, I have more grace. I'll show you grace. I'll show you mercy. It's a realization that our problem is our heart. And to be sorrowful over our sin and to return to our good God who loves us dearly, who's jealous over us. Joel 2, 12 and 13 says this, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your hearts, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and He relents over disaster. Jesus says similarly, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The idea is that we would be broken over our sin and we'd come to God in repentance and then He brings His grace and He brings healing to our heart. James 4.10, he ends this section with this. He says, look, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Some of us need to be humbled in the conflicts that we've been involved in this week, whatever they may be. Ask God to forgive you. I'm sorry that my heart led me to treat this person this way. God, I'm sorry. Some of us have other sins in our life that we need to humbly come before the Lord and say, God, I'm sorry. I've run far from you into my own things. Please forgive me. And other of us need to humble ourselves for the first time and say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. Lead me in paths of righteousness. We're going to take a few minutes before we sing our last song here to come to the foot of the cross humbly and say, God, here's my sin. I need your grace. Let's be broken over our sin this morning, even just for a moment. Confess our sin to a holy God and then let him do his loving work of grace in our hearts that will raise us up from our place of death to a place of life.